Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Hello, hello. We're going to talk today about presenting your principles because this is something that people keep asking me about. <laughs> because the, here's the thing, you get really excited about natural law and principles and truth, and you learn something about them, and you really want to share that truth, of course, you know? And so you try it, and lots of times it doesn't go really great. I want to share with you some of the things that have worked for me, some of the things that I've learned, some of these are kind of around like principles of communication or public speaking or things like that. But I've got 10 points for you that I want to spend a few minutes on each of them and then we can talk about any questions that you might have to maybe help you be better prepared to share what you know with other people who, who you love. Now, the first one might be obvious, but it's something that I didn't always realize. I had, and, and I, I, I've said this before, but you know, in-laws can be tough, whether it's your husband's family, whether it's people that your siblings marry or whatever, you know, you didn't grow up with them. You don't have the same culture. It can be hard to get along. It can be hard to understand them. And so, there was a time when I liked to blame those poor relationships on other people and um, think that they were the problem. In fact, one time I had a, a run-in with a family member. I thought that we were close, like pretty close. We hung out with them quite a bit. And at one point, this uh, family member came and sat me down and just kind of told me, here's all the things that you're doing wrong. Here's all the ways I think you aren't treating me right and that you should be different and all these things that you should have done. And I just sat there just so frustrated and angry and deflated and feeling guilty. I didn't even know about what <laughs> was like, um, so painful. And I didn't want to do anything about it. Like I, I probably did many of those things or maybe all of those things, but I can tell you it wasn't intentional. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. I was just kind of living my life. And, but I'd hurt this person in, in, unintentionally. And I had to make a decision at that point about what I was going to do about it. If I was going to try to keep having relationship with this person and try to fix it or what I was going to do. And I just remember weeks and weeks of stewing and being angry and blaming and um, <laughs> being frustrated. Then the kids are asking, are we going to see him? Are we going to see him? And I finally sat with myself and tried to get really honest. Like I tried to think, what have I legitimately done that I can legitimately apologize for? And what parts do I feel like? really need an explanation so that I can repair this relationship. 
And so the first point that I want to give you about presenting your principles better is to work on the relationship first. Um, sometimes we need to forgive somebody. Sometimes we need to get to know them better. Sometimes we think that because we're in families with people or we're in work environments with people or we're in church with people that we really know them and understand them really well and we really, really don't. I had someone tell me something recently um, and, and they admitted after the fact, you know, only just a very, very few, like a handful, like five or six people even know this about me. And so there are a lot of people in this person's life that interact with them all the time and they don't know one of the very most important very biggest issues for this person. So you don't always know as much as you think you know. Nobody has a perfect life. People, we all blame and we all want things to be other person's fault. And so the first thing that we can do if we want to present our principles to others is to have great relationships with them first. It's absolutely critical. And I found that I had to do some genuine apologizing with this person, I had to do some real forgiving. I had to do some um, explaining. And then I had to rework the relationship a little bit better in the future for myself. And um, if I ever wanted to get to the point where I wanted to be persuasive with this person, because I thought we had a good relationship and clearly we didn't. And so <laughs> I had a long way to go if I wanted to be able to share, you know, what I felt was true or important with this person because they were very upset with me and I didn't even know it. Of course, in the academy, we talk a lot about the concept of self-deception. Um, I have definitely been in self-deception a lot in my life and kind of making other people an it rather than a person and um, thinking that my bad feelings towards them were somehow their fault and you know, I had to learn the hard way that no amount of good behavior can make up for how you truly feel about them. You've got to get your heart in the right place. You've got to really try to know them and love them before they're really going to listen to you. You know, that old adage, no one cares what you think until they know that you care. And they really have to know that you really, really care about them on a deep level. So that's the first one that we want to do is fix our relationships first. Make sure that they're really where they need to be, that you're, that you really love this person for who they are and that you're not doing this to try to fix them. I remember um, we talk about the drama cycle in the Academy a lot too. And I remember thinking, and, and I am totally a rescuer and thinking a lot that I do a lot of rescuing. <laughs> and, then, and then I have someone in my life say to me multiple times, why do you feel like you need to fix me? Why do I need to be fixed? And it was when I returned to the material for some reason, um, I can't remember why reviewing it for something. And that exact phrase was in the persecutor section. <laughs> I was like, Oh no, I'm a persecutor too. Um, this person feels persecuted, whether it's intentional or not. My attitude toward them is that they need to be fixed and there's something wrong with them. And I've got to change the way I feel about them and the way I think about them if I'm ever going to be influential with them. So the Academy helps us a lot here. Getting that right, um, 
but that's what we want to do first is work on the relationship. Now, the second one, you might be able to guess by some of the things that I've shared so far, is checking in with yourself. You want to make sure that you're living whatever this truth or whatever this principle is before you try to go out there and tell other people that they need to live it too. <laughs> um, it's kind of like there's a really famous story about Gandhi. I think it was Gandhi. We all think it was Gandhi. We don't know for sure, but um, there was a mother who took her son to see Gandhi because he ate way too much sugar and they traveled this long trek and they found him and sat down with him and said, Gandhi, my son eats way too much sugar and it's bad for him and it's making him sick. So will you please tell him to stop eating so much sugar? And Gandhi said, just sat there and said, you know, sat there, took a moment, thought for a minute and said, come back in two weeks. <laughs> and she was like, are you kidding me? Why can't you just tell him? We both know sugar's bad. And he wouldn't. So they make the long trek home and they wait out the two weeks and they make the long trek back. They come in and they sit down with Gandhi again and she says, okay, will you please tell my son not to eat sugar because it's bad for him. And Gandhi looks at him right in the eyes and says, stop eating sugar. It's not good for you. <laughs> Mom's like, why did you make this wait two weeks and take this trip twice? It's ridiculous. And he looked at her and said, I ate too much sugar. And I couldn't ask him to stop eating so much sugar until I had stopped eating so much sugar. So that principle is what I want to emphasize here. That people hate hypocrites. Maybe more than anything else. That's why traitors have such horrible consequences have traditionally. Um, and people just don't want to hear from you how they ought to do something you're not willing to do yourself whether it's get up early in the morning or exercise regularly or um, take a class in college or face their fears, you've got to check in with you first. If you really want to influence them, if you really want them to listen to you, make sure that your life is in harmony with whatever you want to teach them. If, if you want them to not be in the drama cycle, then you're going to have to learn it well and you're going to have to get out yourself. And you're going to have to model that and it will help you with some of these other steps I'm going to give you in a minute because the more in line you are with these truths that you want to teach and you want to persuade others about, the more you have of yourself to share and the more vulnerable and honest you can be about your own journey, which is part of the ability to persuade others. Uh, one of the, of course, the definition of love that we use throughout all the academy is the Scott Peck definition, which is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. And of course, that's what truth does for us is it gives us the tools to nurture our own spiritual growth and the spiritual growth of others because really all things are spiritual. And so that's where we want to start is with ourselves. We want to work on the relationship with this other person while we're working on ourselves and making sure that we're in line with the truths that we really believe. You know, if we want to be influential in government, you know, I have a sister that's uh, a mayor of a town. Her, her, her opinions, her advice around economic and governmental principles carries more weight than mine 
because she's paid a bigger price to understand those. I understand them intellectually, I understand how they work in history, but she's been trying to execute them in real circumstances in real life. So she can be persuasive and she can help people understand all the problems because she has done it herself. She's trying to live those principles in a real concrete way in the real world. Um, so we want to love, of course, the first foundational laws of life mission that are in the Mission Driven Life book. Love God, love yourself, love truth and love humanity. And that's what we're about. And these two first principles of present presenting your principles are really about um, loving yourself and loving the other person. Loving yourself enough to learn the principles for yourself and loving the other person enough to love them first and to really get to know them and make them a priority. So the third thing that we want to do to better present our principles is to be wise about the potential consequences. So um, in, in the Alcoholics Anonymous book, you know, there's, there's the 12-step program, and, and what you've got to do is you go through the process yourself. You write down all the things that you've ever done wrong. You confess them to another person, and then you make amends. And, and I really love one of the things that that book teaches because it says, we want to make amends judiciously. If it's possible that our attempt to make amends with someone would cause them more pain, it's best to just confess it and, um, to another person and to God and to quietly live a better life. Because sometimes the potential consequences of going back to that situation, regurgitating that situation for that person or whatever the case might be, could actually cause them more pain than healing. So we have to be judicious and we have to be wise. You have to prayerfully decide whether or not you approaching this person, now that you've lived it and you've seen the fruits in your life and now that your relationship with, this, with them is right, is it is the potential for positive a positive outcome really there or are you just deceiving yourself is there really part of you that just really actually wants to fix them and not really share and if that's the case then it might be best to be silent and you and god have got to work this out honestly the more you understand about self-deception the more you understand about the drama cycle the more you understand about telling yourself the truth and all those self-management principles we talk about the academy the more equipped you'll be to make a wise decision about this, but weigh in on those consequences. Think really hard about what might happen, where they're at, how open they are to you right at the moment. I have someone very close to me right now who I love dearly, who's not making super great choices, but I know that because they love me very much and our relationship is strong um, in terms of us loving each other, but I'm one of the people they just don't want to hear from. And I have to be honest about that. And I have to be honest about the potential damage to our relationship in me approaching this person. And so in this instance, I've just got to lean on God and let God be the influence in that person's life at the moment. And I'll listen for when inspiration might come, that it might be my turn. It might be the right thing for me. Um, I had a complicated situation with one of my kids a few years ago. Um, and I got involved before I really knew my stuff and before I really knew all the right answers. And I thought I was taking them to people that could help them and, and they could, they could help them. But the way that I managed it, I wasn't living some of those. 
I was kind of living those principles, but I didn't understand their situation and I got involved prematurely and I didn't weigh the consequences of my involvement and my involvement actually worsened the situation. And looking back now, I can see that it emotionally complicated the situation for that person. And, and that was unfortunate because I just wasn't wise in weighing in on how involved should I get in this. And, um, you know, that the protector rescuer part of me came and tried to fix, fix, fix instead of being the coach that I really should have been to that person. So weigh in, that's your third, be wise about the potential consequences of going to this person and sharing those principles you want to share with them. The fourth one is before you go and talk to them, check in on your stewardships. Stewardships are super duper duper important. It's not always your stewardship or your place to say something. Even though you don't think it'll cause any bad consequences, and even though you know the benefits of it, and even though your relationship is good with this person, it just might be inappropriate. Um, maybe you wanna fix the PTA president, or your neighbor, or your boss, or the city council member. <laughs> maybe they're really wrong in what they're doing. They have responsibilities. We want them to live according to principles. What they do is affecting other people. We see the damage in their ignorance of true principles. So we want them to know what these principles are because we know how much it will benefit the people that they have stewardship over and maybe they have stewardship over us. Um, so I would say this about checking in on the stewardship. I would say number one, if number, numbers one through three check out and you have a stewardship over this person, that's a pretty good green light. If you don't, if they're in a position of stewardship over you, then um, I'm going to defer you to some of, to, to, to think seriously about that and to think about some of these next points I'm going to give you in relationship to whether or not you should talk to them and kind of how you should talk to them. Because if you implement some of these other things, it might be right for you to talk to them. You just have to be really, really careful. If they're in a position of authority over you, they won't necessarily take that well, even if the relationship is good. So keep that one in the back of your mind while I talk about a few more points of presenting your principles and, and you utilize those together, if that makes sense. So number five, um, this is just kind of your own emotional preparation. This is you checking in with yourself. Prepare to be ignored. <laughs> just, just know that the likelihood that they're actually going to really take to heart what you say and do something about it is not real high. My mom said something very wise to me years ago and I, it really went straight to my heart and I've remembered it ever since. She's, I don't always live it because I've got, it's like I've got this, this rescuer monster in me and I've got to constantly beat her down because she just wants to fix everything all the time. But um, she said, nobody wants your advice unless they ask for it. And even then, they usually don't want it. It's, it's a little um, discouraging, maybe kind of a Debbie Downer kind of an idea, but there's a lot of truth to it. People don't usually want your advice unless they ask for it, and then even then, they often don't follow it. I mean, think about how many therapists and coaches there are out there in the world with all kinds of training and expertise, and people search them out and they pay them large amounts of money and they go and sit in their offices and those people still don't take that therapist or coach's advice. So the likelihood that they're going to listen to you when you're in a position of stewardship, 
the likelihood of them listening to you and implementing your advice shoots way higher. The stronger the relationship, the, the higher the likelihood. The more you've had a transformational experience with those principles, the higher the likelihood. So all of those things can contribute to your ability to be influential, but be prepared to be ignored. Like just kind of settle in the back of your mind. They're probably not gonna do it, but I kind of feel obligated to say something because I know how much these principles would help. And on the off chance that they might take my advice and do something about it, I feel like I should tell them. Um, remember, even Jesus was ignored. Even, even the, you know, the most brilliant, wise of us was ignored. So just be prepared for that. And remember that truth seekers will listen. Okay, so that's number five. Number six is to do your homework. And this is a, this is a really important principle of persuasion. I teach this every time I, I teach persuasive writing or speaking. It's so critical to appeal to the heart and to the mind. Some people are emotion-based and some people are, are thought-based, mentally-based, intellectuals. You have to appeal to both sides of the person You've got to give them emotional evidence and mental evidence in order to have them really believe um, what you're gonna what you're gonna share with them. Stories are the most powerful and memorable thing you can share. I remember when I was learning public speaking and I had an incredible mentor, and she would constantly kind of pound this into me like they're not gonna remember anything but the story. So make, you know, have your kind of eight-second theme, have your clear idea you're trying to share and make the stories exemplify that, 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 that principle so that when they go home and they remember the story, they'll remember the principle too. This is why the greatest teachers have taught in um, parables and analogies and uh, things like that. I highly recommend that you tell them your own stories, that you show up humble and vulnerable. And this, is, um, this goes along with number seven as well. The more you can share about your own struggles and journey, the more that you can talk about how you're different now that you know these principles than before you knew them, and they've changed you and they've changed the way you've lived and they've been beneficial to you, the greater the, 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 greater the likelihood that they're really gonna listen to you and this is gonna be life-changing for them. Throw some science in there, throw some stats in there, throw some good um, mental evidence as well. We're all convinced on evidence. I talk about this a lot in podcasts, in the academy, wherever I have the opportunity. Faith is based on evidence. We must be exposed to large amounts of good quality evidence, and that evidence weighs in the favor of, of truth. And so we want to give them evidence that these are true principles and that they're really going to work. Use a lot of examples. Tell a lot of stories. Harmonize it with science and the facts. Harmonize it with scripture and emotional experiences be prepared with what you want to share. Now, this doesn't mean you want to write a whole speech out and have it all staged, but take some time. If this conversation is worth having, it's worth doing right. And if, this, if the person is open to it, number seven is to ask them if they will talk to you. Okay, just say, would you have a few minutes that I can share something with you that's really important to me? And I think it might benefit you as well. 
ask them for the per, their permission to share something valuable with them. Do it when, uh, make sure the timing is right. Do it at a time when the relationship is strong, when there's time to relax and there's time to connect. If they're open to it, you can start with a prayer. But be wise about the timing and be prepared with what you want to say. If you need to have a few notes to say, you know, this is so important to me that I've written down a couple notes so I don't forget any of the important things I wanted to share with you. I, you know, if it were, think about if it were you, if it were you and someone that you cared about and loved and had a good relationship with, had some success in their life that you could see, and they came and asked if they could talk to you because they wanted to share something that was important to them. And they had some notes that they, on things that they wanted to say, you wouldn't be put off. I would be flattered. I'd be like, wow, I mean this much to you. Like that you've, you've prepared to come and talk to me. If the relationship is not good, guess what I'm going to think? Oh, this is her new attempt to fix me. Right? Like, oh, good. We're doing this again. So that is why the relationship is absolutely vital. Ask them if they're ready to talk. Ask them if they're open. Be humble. Be transparent. Be vulnerable. Share your weaknesses. Uh, share what you've prepared to share. Tell them stories. Relate to them and care about them as a person. And, and then this ties into the eighth thing that you want to do, and that is to use questions. Uh, one of the most powerful things we can do for anybody is just ask them the right question at the right time. Because then, you know, the mind is a problem solving machine. Okay. It is wired to solve problems because we are children of God that are creators by our very nature. And so the creative process is a problem solving process. So because we're creators by nature, when we're asked a good question, it can have more power than almost anything else. This is why we focus so heavily on the five types of questions, and I still get complaints from academy students that it's so hard to use those five types of questions, but I'm just, you know, I talk about empowering questions. Questions can change things. You walk in there in a loving way, ready to talk to someone that you care about as something important, and you ask them the powerful question and you just listen, that may be all you have to do. That, that may just totally change everything. And so, um, you know, when I was, when I was thinking about this, this question asking and the five types of questions and all that kind of thing that we do practice in the Academy and the, the power of, of quality discussion, it makes us better listeners. It makes us better question askers. It makes us better at engaging with people in a quality way. So that's why we focus on it so heavily, but I was thinking about Benjamin Franklin and I, um, I, I didn't have time to go comb through and find the exact source. Um, but I do know this to be an actual experience that he had. Basically he was super opinionated. He was very, very smart. And you know, if you know very much about his life, he was apprenticed young to his brother in his printing shop. And within a couple of years he was writing and he was, he was masking his writing by, by you know, putting it under the door in, in the name of, of, of do good. And, and so um, I think it was do good anyway, it was published and people were talking about it really kind of fed his ego. He knew he was an influential writer. He knew he was, he really had some gifts. And so it kind of puffed up his pride and he kind of 
thought he had it all together. And so when he was younger, he was super opinionated and he would just charge into whatever situation it was. Like, I've got the answers. Everybody listen to me, you know, take a seat at my feet and I'll figure it all out for you. I'll give you all the answers. And I can't remember who it was um, or how the process happened for him. It seemed like somebody, some friends came forward and said something to him. But what the result of that was is that they helped him see um, you are getting nowhere. People, I think they told him, um, I think what happened was they came to him and they were like, everybody kind of thinks you're a jerk. No one's really listening to you. They don't really care what you have to say because you don't ever listen and you always think you're right, basically. And it, it really hit home for him. In fact, years later, he kind of had a similar conversation with John Adams, who tended to just, who was also really brilliant and who tended to be really loud and opinionated. And, and he sat John Adams down and kind of said the same thing, like, look, no one's listening to you. You can't just spout off your opinions. And so Benjamin Franklin learned this kind of through the back door strategy where whenever he wanted to be influential, he would take time. He would do a lot of these things that we've talked about. He would take time, ask the person if they wanted to talk, make sure the relationship was good, sit down with them in a quiet place. And he would start asking them questions. And if he wanted to propose a solution, he would say, you know, so-and-so, you know, he would cite a name or he would say, you know, someone that I know suggested this, or I heard that in another place they've done this. And he wouldn't take credit for his own ideas because for him, it was more important to actually solve the problem. It was more important to actually teach the truth than it was for him to stroke his own ego and to be a rescuer. And I love that example because he learned from that mistake and from his temperament. I'm that way. I think I have the answers. I want to fix the problem. I'm a rescuer. And so it's important to keep in mind that we need to just use questions and really listen. And then we can teach what we know from the standpoint of our own personal experience and how it's changed us. So those are really the eight tools that you want to use when you're presenting your principles. Now, sometimes you'll be presenting your principles to an audience who's already ready to hear. Maybe you're speaking somewhere. Maybe you're a, a reputable author or things like that, in which case honing those skills of speaking and persuasive speaking and persuasive writing are even more critical for you because you have a platform where people trust your authority and, and you can be a voice for good. So that's super important. But um, even just one-on-one, -on -one, day to day, these are concrete ways that you and I can begin to present these principles in ways that will cause permanent change for people, in ways that will cause them to listen to us. It's tempting to get into forums and to chime in, and that, not that that's not worthwhile. Sometimes just the number of voices is helpful. Be in those forums and say what you know to be true. Stand up for truth and be a light, for sure. But in terms of really wanting to transform someone, then these are the things that I have learned. I may have missed some, but these are things that have really made a difference that I recommend you do. The last two are, of course, to keep learning about principles. We've got, I, I, I've got a woman, uh, Tracy Hyde, on the board who found uh, videos of me 
I don't know, seven or eight years ago now talking about principles. And she was just saying to me in the last few months, I'm really feeling confident about um, these, this principles thing now. I'm really feeling like I can identify them. I can teach them clearly. I understand them. So there's definitely a learning curve. Of course, I've been at this for Oh, almost 20 years I was introduced to natural law and got excited about it and started studying it. So don't expect to be adept at it right away. One of the things that happens is people get excited about the academy largely because, not for, you know, different reasons. They love the community and such, but they also want to learn about principles, which is wonderful. And they get in there and in the, within the first few weeks or the first couple months are like, okay, well, I don't get it. And I, I, I'm still struggling to understand principles. I'm like, okay, well, don't worry about that yet find the principles in what you're learning and learn to live them and do level one. And then we'll dig deeper in level two. And just as a process, just be patient. Um, you'll get better and better at it over time, I guess is what I'm saying. Just keep being a truth seeker, keep aligning um, what you find with scripture, with God, with conscience, with common sense, all those checkpoints that I talk about regularly. And the last one is like I mentioned a minute ago, keep getting better at your presentation skills. The world can use more influential people. It, the famous saying goes, you know, all that evil needs is for enough good people to do nothing. And we don't want to be those good people that do nothing. We want to be able to persuade and to influence. We want to develop our gifts to use in the service of our families and communities. I say that every podcast that's in our mission statement, that's what we're all about. And this is part of that. Having people listen to you and being able to be well-spoken are our skills and importance, important gifts to hone and develop. And, and there are varying degrees, but love comes through. When you know something to be true and you speak it with love and you listen, it changes people. I can promise you that. So that, those were the 10 points I wanted to share with you today about um, presenting your principles. I hope that they were helpful and kind of opened your eyes to some things that you can do in your life right now to begin getting better at sharing the truths that you've learned with those that you know and love in your home and around you in your neighborhoods and communities. Thank you so much for being here. If you don't have your copy of your, the audiobook, The Mission Driven Life, you can go to themissiondrivenmom.com and grab your copy of that audiobook. Those are the seven laws of life mission that we go over again and again and again and want to get our minds around and live so that we can become the best that we can be. And thanks for being here. I will see you next time.